If I had a solution to that, I would be the wealthiest, most well-respected exercise person on the planet. But unfortunately, human physiology just doesn't work like that. Hello, and welcome to the Physical Preparation Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Robertson, and today is our October 2022 Q&A episode. Now, before we jump into this week's show, I want to give you a quick recap of the week that was, or really two weeks uh, since last week. I was out, got everything done before I left, but man, had an amazing fall break with the family, went to Colorado Springs, got to see my sister, got to hike, zipline, all kinds of fun stuff. I mean, it was just an amazing trip. And I think most importantly, showed my kids the mountains and the West a little bit, and we will definitely be going back. So man, yeah, lots happened in the last two weeks between fall break, Kate had his birthday the weekend before, and that was just chock full of stuff between uh, Cade's actual birthday. He had a birthday party that night. Uh, we had his party the next day. He had a baseball game. You know, we had a full week of school. We're gone on fall break. Come back. As soon as we get back from fall break, Kendall has two soccer games that weekend. And then I mean, you know how it goes, right? You go on a vacation and the week before and the week after, absolutely insane. So that is the week that I've come back to. It's my busy week as far as coaching and consulting calls. I've got podcasts to record. Kino actually has her year-end or basically season-end soccer tournament this weekend, so all kinds of stuff going on, but all good stuff. Uh, Beyond just the family, let's see, we've got upcoming seminars. My Complete Coach Seminar in Hartford is right around the corner. Very, very excited about that. My guy Steve Calarco has worked so hard to help pull this together. We got a great lineup of people coming already getting questions and ideas, things that people want to talk about. So, man, I just love doing those. It's labor intensive because if you've been to one, you know there is a structure involved and there's certain things that I want to cover, but it's also very dynamic. I do a lot of focused stuff on questions and things that people in the crowd are curious about or they're unclear on. So it's definitely a little bit harder. I have to be a little bit sharper. I can't sit back and just rely on a PowerPoint presentation for two days. But man, so excited for that. That is the weekend of the 4th, 5th, and 6th. The following weekend, I'm going to Vegas. Uh, A guy, Joel Jameson, is doing his conditioning cert, and I am going to be doing a little presentation there. So definitely excited, although a lot of travel in this uh, three to four week time period. And I think one of my favorite things about this time of year is, you know, since I am a little bit slower coaching wise, it's afforded me some time to really dive in on my own con ed. There are certain areas that I want to get focused on, certain areas that I really want to build out uh, from my own kind of career development, if you will. So, man, it was crazy this morning. I didn't have any coaching clients, which is pretty rare uh, at any time of year. But yeah, I had no coaching clients, so I actually had an hour to just sit down and go through. Actually, I'm going through Alex Natera's ISO course. So I just got to sit there and take notes and reflect on some of the things that you know the various presenters were talking about. So that's been really refreshing. And man, I'm just really excited for not only this time to kind of formulate some of my own thoughts and kind of figure out where I'm at, but think about how I'm going to use this next set of tools I'm adding to the toolbox 
to make the coaching and the training at iFast even better in the months and years to come. So yeah, man, all kinds of good stuff going on right now, but I'm excited to get into this episode. So we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to jump right in to this month's Q&A show. It seems like every day I talk to a young trainer or coach who is frustrated. Maybe they're frustrated with the results they're getting. Maybe they're frustrated because they don't have trusted resources to learn from. And maybe they're frustrated because they simply don't have enough clients and wonder how long they'll be able to stay in the industry. So if that sounds anything like you, I've got something that I know will help. My Complete Coach Certification was created for trainers and coaches just like you, who are serious about the results they get and who know that becoming a better coach can directly translate to a bigger bottom line. This certification is gonna take the last 20 years of my life's work and put it all into one massive course. In it, you'll learn how to use the R7 system to create seamless, integrated, and efficient programs for clients and athletes of all shapes and sizes. How to create the culture, environment, and relationships with everyone you train so you can get the absolute best results. And the exact progressions, regressions, and coaching cues I use in the gym, from squatting and deadlifting to pressing and pulling and everything in between. Of course, there's a ton more that I cover, but that should give you a pretty good idea of what the cert is all about. Now here's the thing, spots for the certification will only open twice per year for a limited time only. To get on the insider's list, just head over to completecoachcertification.com. Again, completecoachcertification.com and then stay tuned for emails in the coming weeks. Thanks so much for your support and I hope you'll pick up a copy of the Complete Coach Certification when it launches. All right, so without any further ado, let's dive in. And our first question comes from Paulius. Paulius would like to know, what are the ABCs of training older, untrained populations? Do I have any insights regarding program design with regards to volume, progressions, etc.? And I want to give you a little story or a little background on this, because years ago, we had arguably the oldest untrained client who ever came to iFast. I clearly remember this woman. She was 69 years old. She was about to turn 70. And I'm not kidding you when I tell you she had never worked out in this sort of way, like with a personal trainer, with a coach, following a workout routine at any point in her life. And I want to give a shout out to Jay Chung because Jay did an amazing job with this woman, helping get her started and helping her build her confidence in the gym. So a few thoughts here that I think will help. First, the question that I would turn around and ask you is, you know, how would you train any newbie regardless of age? Like what are some of the big things you would and wouldn't do? And that will help guide your thought process here. Now, a couple things that are very important, especially as we talk about an older population. Number one, I would say you would start with an incredibly low volume. Like anything that you do with clients like this will make them sore. So if you've seen some of the old templates that I provided via the complete coach cert, I've got one that's like two by eight week one, two by 10 week two, three by eight week three, three by 10 week four. So it's a very standard, low volume approach to getting somebody in the gym. I would start with something like that, where literally the first week it's like two sets of eight, five to six exercises, just get them moving. Honestly, you might take them through a warm up routine alone on that first session and maybe just one set of everything and they're gonna be sore the next day. 
just because they're so untrained and they're so unfamiliar with these activities. So number one, start low volume. Number two, be very slow with your ramp up with your volume and your intensity as well. Don't feel like, you know, by week three, you have to be doing three sets or you have to be adding an appreciable amount of load. Just not the case. Start slow, build up very, very slowly because again, you do anything with them early on, they're gonna be sore. And on the flip side of that, you're gonna see some form of training adaptation. So you don't have to rush things. Slow cook them, start very slow. Third, with regards to tempo, I don't think I'd probably be doing anything explosive or ballistic. Now, I still want to get them there if I can over the long haul, but early on, I want to do very slow, controlled tempos and just focus on building better movements. It could be squatting, hinging, split squatting, you know, whatever movements they have good access to and control over, that's what I'd be starting with. Now, if you wanna go hard with anything, this is where some of the bigger gyms might be helpful because you have access to isolated, uh, selectorized, like plate-loaded equipment. If you can do some isolated work, this might be a really good opportunity to just focus on building a little bit of strength, building some tissue tolerance, and just getting them a little bit stronger and more confident in the gym. So we don't have a ton of that at IFAST. You know, we got the monkey foot, so we use that for some of our isolated work. But if you have access to some of those tools, that might be a really safe and effective way to start building some strength in some of those isolated or targeted tissues. Now, a couple things that I also want to mention here. Number one, psychology hugely, hugely important. I think one of your main jobs as a trainer or coach for somebody like this that's untrained is make them confident. There's probably some reason they've never joined a gym in the past. Maybe they have um, self-confidence issues. Maybe they don't feel like they're athletic. But you know, if somebody goes 50, 60, 70 years and has never trained a day in their life, be super kind to them, help build their confidence, just get them comfortable as quickly as you can. And I would say kind of in line with this, start very easy, very low complexity with regards to your exercise selection. You don't want to overwhelm anybody, get them confident, get them moving, and then just build from there. I would say constant praise and positive reinforcement is a huge thing. And then last but not least, do whatever you can to make it fun. You want to make it so that they look forward to coming to the gym. And if you absolutely smash them on the first day, chances are they're not going to enjoy it. They're going to be super sore. They don't want to come back. They're not going to feel successful. So do whatever you can to make it engaging, make it fun, and find ways to keep them coming back for more. Okay, our second question comes from John. And John, my apologies, didn't get to this last time because quite frankly, it's a really big and loaded question. I could probably talk about this easily for an hour or two uh, as far as examples and how I would approach it, but I think I found a way to condense this and make it a little bit easier. So John's question is about layering supersets, specifically within the R4 or reactive section of my workouts. So John wants to know, how do I approach this within linear, lateral, and change of direction speed development? And could I provide him with some examples as to how I might progress them? So. First off, if you're unfamiliar with this idea of layering supersets, this is actually something that I describe in depth in my superset masterclass. Uh, if you haven't watched it, I'll put a link in the show notes. Definitely check it out. 
Uh, I think it's a really good resource. I'm obviously biased, but I think if you use supersets or you want to write better supersets in your programs as a free resource, it's something that can be super helpful and hopefully super valuable. So essentially a layering superset is when you take multiple activities that build on a common theme. So here are two or three examples that I think will help. Let's start with the idea uh, or the concept of a hip turn. So a hip turn is very important if you're playing basketball, if you're playing volleyball, if you're playing even like baseball or softball and you go to field a ball or stay in front of an offensive player. You're going to hip turn and then shuffle to try and mark the ball or to mark your opponent. So if I want to build on that theme, I'm going to start with really low level activities first, and then I'm going to layer in progressively more challenging activities as I go. So here's an example. If for instance, I'm working on this hip turn and I want to teach them the basics of it first. What I might do is have them do a band resisted hip turn. So I put the band around them. They have to hip turn and shuffle away from me. So what this forces them to do is find a good foot position. It makes them find a good strong foot contact and it makes them actively push away from me. Okay, so I start to build that hip turn in a very low level environment. Now from there, I may layer in something a little bit more dynamic, uh, a little bit more complex. So again, in the master class, I show a band hip turn and then I show a cone hip turn and shuffle. So essentially the athlete shuffles to a cone, they hip turn, they shuffle to another cone, they shuffle back, hip turn. So again, a little bit more dynamic, a little bit more challenging activity. And then the final step of that, once we've done the isolated stuff, is to make it more reactive. So from there, they may be squared up on me. I point over their right shoulder. They have to hip turn and shuffle one to two shuffles away. Okay, so that's one example. Uh, a second example could be if you're working on like true change of direction side to side where somebody might be shuffling or trying to stop and plant and cut and go the other way. Maybe you're going to do something like a fake throw where you're going to shuffle to one direction. Say you're shuffling to your right, fake throw, stop shuffle back to your left, fake throw, stop. So that could be your first activity. Your second activity layers on that or continues to build on that theme. So you fake throw and then you do a lateral jump and hold. So now instead of creating that stiffness using the medicine ball in your core, now you're forced to do it a little bit more through your lower extremities. You're forced to find a really good angle, plant, land, and then push back to the other direction. And then the final piece in that example is a reactive defensive slide. So maybe you partner them up with uh, an equal caliber athlete, and now they do a mirror drill where one person is on offense, the other is on defense, and the offensive player basically tries to plant and cut and shuffle side to side, and they're basically trying to lose the defender, and the defender is trying to mirror their activities and stay in front of them, okay? So probably works a little bit better with videos, but hopefully you can visualize those. Those are a couple like change of direction examples. Uh, another one that could be very uh, effective and something that I've used in the past for linear speed is to do something where, let's say we're trying to get somebody to find good acceleration angles. So I would put a band around their waist. I'd have them start in kind of like a crouched athletic two-point position. And then I'd have them explode for one step off either their left or right leg, just working on that first step, working on a big arm swing, big aggressive push with the legs. So we'd start with that. From there, we'd go into, say, some form of prowler push, probably a short distance, five to 10 yards. 
but again, mimicking those angles. Now, at this point, I'm not resisting them. It's a little bit more active. It's a little bit more dynamic activity, and they're gonna project a little bit further. The final activity would be a reactive sprint. So let's say uh, we put them and a partner side by side. When the partner goes, then they react to them and they try and catch them. All right, so there's a couple different examples, but you know how I work, John. I mean, you followed me long enough. We've done enough uh, rap sessions together. Rather than give you a thousand specific examples, I wanna give you a couple principles, or these are some of the strategies that I use to help write my layering supersets. That first activity is generally gonna be something that's very isolated, very rehearsed. I'm trying to get very narrow, very specific on one or two specific things that I want them to work on. The second activity builds and layers on that first activity, hence the name, right? So if in that first exercise we're working on a hip turn, the first exercise should just be the hip turn. The second is adding in a hip turn and a shuffle or they're adding in a hip turn with maybe an element of speed or complexity tied in. And then the third activity really starts to integrate all the pieces, or it takes that rehearsed activity that we started with in the first exercise and now makes it reactive. So when in doubt, I think this will be helpful, when in doubt, I want you to think part, bigger part, whole. That's essentially how I create my layering supersets. Small part, bigger part, whole activity. So again, really loaded question, really loaded answer there, but I hope that helps you out, John, and I hope it helps you write better layering supersets. All right, third question comes from George. And I love some of these personal questions that I get. I don't mind at all answering them. Uh, I think it's actually kind of fun to give you guys some insights and show you that I'm actually a real human being and not just a random content creator or coach. So anyway, George wants to know, how was your recent vacation? What did you do during your time off? And what strategies do you use to get back into the swing of things when you're done? So actually really great question, I think. Hopefully this will be helpful for all of you. First off, in a word, vacation was absolutely awesome. Uh, Jess and I decided we wanted to show the kids there's more to the world than Indiana and Florida. So we went out to Colorado Springs for an entire week, showed them some mountains, got out, and we did all kinds of stuff, right? Obviously got to spend time with the family, decompressed. I don't think I looked at email until, for I didn't look at email for five days. I didn't look at Instagram for an entire week. You know, so it allowed me time to decompress. I got to grill out three or four times. You know, I love to grill and cook things. So that was awesome. Enjoyed the scenery. It's absolutely beautiful out there. Hiked. Uh, I got a killer rope burn from zip lining. Uh, so that was uh, interesting. If you ever see me, I can tell you that story. Depending on when you see me, I might still have this burn because it's pretty serious. But all in all, it was an amazing trip. Just it's so great to just continually reconnect with my family, spend time with them where we're not distracted. You know, we don't have other stuff going on. We can just really hone in on each other and chill out and spend time together. So vacation itself was awesome. Now, to your second point, I think this might be helpful for those of you that struggle to decompress or really relax on your vacations or on your breaks. And this is something that I started doing a couple years ago because for a while as an entrepreneur and somebody that you know, basically works for themselves and is responsible uh, for all your own income, all that stuff. It was really hard for me to just turn off and relax. 
the best vacations we took were ones where we were out of the country and had like no internet access. But now you have internet access basically everywhere. So what I have basically told myself is when I leave uh, little or no social media while I'm gone, I think that's a huge piece of it. And then the second piece is I refuse to even open or look at my email for five days. So basically we left on Saturday. I didn't do anything, even look at my email until Wednesday. And so even when I get to Wednesday, I basically start a timer and I give myself 30 minutes. And my only job there is to triage my email. I mean, I get all kinds of random stuff. Um, you know, sometimes it's actually like valid stuff from clients, mentees, um, professional colleagues, people that actually need stuff. Uh, but I get a lot of spam and just random stuff too. So literally in that 30 minute timer, I triage as many of my emails as I can. I think last time I was at 100, 120 emails and I had it down to like 17 and the end of this 30 minute period. The second to last day when I'm there, I take a blank piece of paper and I brain dump all the things that I know I'm gonna have to work on so they're not just pinging around in my head. And then the final day, especially if I fly, is like my final triage. So that's when I will respond to any emails that have come in or that I didn't respond to before. That's when I'll respond to my online clients. I'll build out my training week uh, or, or just like my week in general so that I can really just decompress and relax. But I can't stress this highly enough. If you really want to enjoy this, start by doing nothing as long as you can. And I think that's really, really important because we're so, how do I want to describe this? We're so focused on being connected, right? And being available. And I mean, right now people could call me, they could text me, uh, they could email me, they could reach out to me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. Like there's no shortage of ways to be connected. So at least for me, the more I can disconnect, the more recharged I am when I come back. And so... You know, I'm always shocked at when I do come back from a vacation, even if I don't feel like I needed it, when I come back, how much more energy I have, how much more focused and productive I am. So that would be my biggest piece of advice. Start by doing nothing as long as you can. You know, use that midweek triage on your email, whatever things you need to do, set a timer so it doesn't go over. And then, hey man, it's a vacation. Chill out, relax, and enjoy it. Okay, my friends, fourth question today comes from Joel. Joel would like to know, how can I put together a good 20 to 30 minute workout that gets similar results to a 60 to 90 minute workout three times a week? Or would I need to do that workout more like five days a week? Well, I'm just going to be honest here, Joel. I would love to have a great answer here for you, but there's literally no way to make three times a week at 20 to 30 minutes the same as three times a week at 90 minutes. If I had a solution to that, I would be the richest wealthiest, most well-respected exercise person on the planet. But unfortunately, human physiology just doesn't work like that. Now, it can also be troublesome or it can also be challenging or difficult if your goals are more on the neural end of the spectrum. So here's what I mean by that. If you're trying to get faster, if you're trying to get stronger, if you're trying to become more powerful, these are very nervous system dominant activities. And due to those higher intensities, and longer rest periods, you just can't do as much in a short period of time. Like if you're trying to sprint really fast, it might take you 30 minutes just to be warmed up and primed and ready 
to sprint as fast as possible. Same thing if you're working with very heavy weights in the gym. Just by the time you warm up and you do your warm-up sets and you ramp yourself up, man, by the time you're actually ready to train, your 20 to 30 minutes is already gone. So what I would do, Joel, is as a thought experiment, I would flip this around and I would ask you this question. What are you trying to get out of this? Or in other words, why are you trying to condense your workouts? And there's tons of valid reasons, right? Like I've done this myself in the past. I've written programs for online clients, offline clients alike that need to really shorten and condense their workouts. Sometimes they're just super focused on maintenance, right? Sometimes they have massive time crunches. They're under huge deadlines at work. Maybe it's a stress-related thing. They're working 10, 12, 14-hour days, so they just need to try and sneak these little micro-workouts in. Any of these reasons are valid, and they could all be great reasons for you to want to shift to these types of workouts. But just know and understand that with very short workouts like this, you're primarily looking to, number one, maintain whatever physical adaptation you've achieved, right? You're trying to maintain, maybe you're trying to just stay active, but it's going to be very, very hard to move the needle with regards to fat loss, strength gain, speed, power development. Any of those primary adaptations are going to be very challenging to achieve using these very short and condensed workouts. Now, adding some days in might help going from three to five. That might be helpful. Um, But again, I think if you're really trying to move the needle, probably not going to work. But if you know that, hey, I'm going to do this for a short period of time because I got a lot of other things going on, there's competing demands, there's interference that would hold me back from seeing progress anyways, and you just want to maintain where you're at, then I think this is a valid and viable way to do it. So again, Joel, sorry I don't have like a great answer here and I don't have some panacea that's going to help you Get amazing results in 20 minutes, three times a week. Unfortunately, it's just not doable. But for short-term bursts where you're trying to maintain your progress, I think you can get away with stuff like this. Okay, our fifth question for this month comes from Chad. And I'm really excited to answer this one because I think it's a great question. Chad wants to know, what does a current exercise science student or recent graduate need to know when entering the fitness or performance field? Do they need soft skills? Should they focus on technical skills? And the bottom line is, what should he be focusing on prior to entering the job market? And again, just such a great question. And what I always tell our interns is there's basically two battles you're you're focusing on. Number one should be pretty easy. Like you should work on being an amazing and great human being because at the end of the day, you could have the best technical skills in the world, but if you can't relate and connect to other humans, you're probably going to struggle as a coach. So just focus on being the best possible human, caring, supportive, outgoing, friendly. Focus on doing that while you're building your technical skills. Because I don't care how good of an intern you are, how fast of a learner you are, you're not going to be a great technician coming out of school. You're just not. Like you could be an absolute savant. You're not going to be as good as somebody that's been doing this 10, 20, 30 years. And so here's an unpleasant truth that I say, not to necessarily scare young coaches off, but I want to be very honest with them because I don't think our industry is very honest 
in a lot of ways they can be deceptive or shady you know people talk about like you know fast tracking and oh, i'll have you where you need to be in three to six months and you know maybe you can move the needle in that amount of time but a really unpleasant truth is that hard technical skills take decades to develop not weeks not months not even years we're talking decades and i am in my third decade in the coaching industry and i still feel like i learn stuff every single day whether it's training myself coaching others just watching other people move i'm literally learning every single day so chad when you want to know what to focus on here are a couple things that i think will be very very valuable number one just get reps get reps don't be afraid to fail work with as many people as you can from as many different backgrounds as possible work on working with and coaching as many people as possible number two wherever you're at whatever environment you're in be coachable nobody wants a 22 year old know-it-all <laughs> i'll be honest like we're lucky we haven't had a lot of those i think i probably was that at 23 24 didn't know what i didn't know so do your best to be coachable to be humble even if you know some things and you've read a lot and you're well educated Man, there's just so much in not just training, but in life that you haven't experienced. So be coachable, be humble about where you're at. Uh, and last but not least, this is what I always tell people. Don't compare yourself to others. Who cares where everybody else is coming from and their backgrounds and their skill sets? Just focus on being the best possible intern, GA, or young coach that you can possibly be be your best version of yourself because if you're doing that it will shine through the people you're working for will notice and if they're just like blind and not paying any attention then other people around you will notice because if you're doing things at a high level that brings other high level people around and i would say if i want to leave you with one piece of advice it would be this and this is something i tell myself still to this day and i'll give you an example in a minute but Think about busting your butt on a day-to-day -day basis. Work your little ass off, for lack of a better term, but also expect your progress to be slow and steady over the long haul. You know, it's funny. I've talked a lot about force plates here lately, and we just got ours, and I'm starting to really dig into this and starting to set up kind of the, the testing protocol that I want to use and I'm writing down all the articles that I want to read and podcasts I want to listen to and I had this moment today where I was like dude like I'm kind of overwhelmed with this and then I had to take a step back and just realize like hey man these things happen I'm not going to know it all right off the bat I'm not going to be perfect right off the bat I need to start somewhere so I'm going to start very narrow a couple tests focus on a couple metrics and then I'll slowly build from there. It's the same thing I did when I started with the Exerfly. You know, the first day I looked at the Exerfly YouTube page when I got it and I saw, dang, there's like 80 to 100 activities and immediately felt overwhelmed because there were too many options. So I said, hey, look, I'm just going to get really good with like two or three activities for now. And then as I get comfortable with those, then I'll add in and layer in more. So I think the same thing goes for you, Chad. Don't ever feel overwhelmed start with a few basic things like i said up front get reps be coachable be the best version of you day in and day out and then just know and understand that even if you're working at a, an incredibly hard pace you may not see progress until further down the line and that's okay that's normal 
So Chad, I really hope that answers your question. I hope it doesn't scare you off. And I hope we get more coaches like you who are serious about the craft and want to get better coming into our industry. Okay, our sixth question comes from Elsie. At least I believe it's pronounced Elsie. I believe it's Slovenian or Eastern European. So Elsie, if I butchered your name, please accept my deepest apologies. But Elsie wants to know, do you plan mobility workouts separately or do you do them prior to training sessions? And this kind of comes back to a previous question from, you know, I believe it was Joel who wanted to know how can we do these very short workouts? And I think, again, you have to always start with the question of what is the goal of your workout program or your workout routine? So I would say if you're a power lifter and strength is your primary goal, you know, mobility training may just be a supplement. It may be something that you do either pre-session or, you know, maybe a quick and dirty thing you do on your off days, but you're not really trying to move the needle here. You're just trying to prevent losses, right? You're just trying to maintain your current mobility levels. Now, on the flip side of that, let's say your primary goal is to improve mobility. You move like the Tin Man from the Wizard of Oz. Now, if that's the case, then I would say every level of your program and the amount of time you dedicate to mobility training should be reflective of that. So here's what I would say there. If your primary goal is to improve mobility, number one, it better be in your warm-up on your training days like that, I think. Shouldn't need to be said, but I'll, I'll say it anyway. Make sure you're warming up and including mobility activities in your session. The training session itself should reflect this as well. And there's a lot of things that can be kind of noted here. Number one, what activities are you choosing? If you're choosing very short, heavily loaded, uh, small range of motion activities, probably not gonna be reflective of that. So if you're choosing like, let's say a max effort quarter squat, probably not gonna reinforce your goal of obtaining more mobility. Maybe you need to be doing a heels elevated goblet squat where you can go through a fuller range of motion. So your warm up, your training session, but I would go even further and I would say, you better be doing things either post-workout, on your off days, uh, you know, micro mobility sessions. There's all kinds of activities that you can be doing. Uh, but to answer your question, LZ, like if my goal is to improve mobility, I'm chasing that goal on an almost daily basis. And this actually reminds me of something I put into my Bulletproof Knees Manual. <laughs> it's funny. I was just thinking about this the other day. I think this product came out in 2007, 2008. But I talked about the decade rule for mobility. And I think this rule, even though I created it when I was like very young, I think is super helpful and gives you a guideline because for example, let's say you are 20 years old, you should probably be doing mobility training at least twice a week. You're young, pliable, resilient. You're generally pretty mobile in nature. Two times a week is probably enough. Your 30s, three times. 40s, four times. You get into your 50s, and you want to maintain or improve your mobility, you better be doing mobility training on an almost daily basis. So again, it comes down to your needs. It comes down to your primary goals of training. But I'm a big believer that if you want to improve mobility, number one, it's got to be reflective in every session uh, or every level of your workout. And it's got to be reflected in the fact that you're training for mobility on a high frequency basis. So Elsie, I hope that answers your question and hopefully makes a positive impact in your mobility training. 
Okay, last but not least, question number seven comes from Fitstrength. And unfortunately, I don't know Fitstrength's name because that's what their IG handle is, but I will answer their question regardless. Mike, what does your early off-season program look like for your volleyball players and hoopers? Well, man, first off, I wish I had more volleyball players. I miss that sport dearly. So much fun to train, so much fun to coach. Uh, but honestly, I'm going to have to speak from that angle of basketball because that's what like 95% of my training revolves around these days. But I want to start with this. Early off-season is honestly my absolute favorite time of the off-season because, number one, I haven't seen these guys in months generally. You know, we've interacted via text or social media whatever, but I haven't seen them in forever, so it's just great to catch up and reconnect. But it's also awesome for me because this is like where I am the biggest part of the show. A lot of times these guys aren't back on the court yet, or if they are, it's a very small part of their training. They're just ready to just kind of get back in the gym, get back in the routine, which means I... I, Mike Robertson, get to be the biggest focus of their training. (laughs) Honestly, it's like only one month out of 12, but man, I love this time of year for all those reasons. So to answer your question, there's really three things that I'm thinking about in that first program back. Number one is just general movement capacity. So if you want to take it back to the gym and the floor, think about their ability to squat, their ability to hinge, their ability to lunge. So I want to get that back. The second piece is some of their sports-specific movement. Because sometimes these guys have picked up bad habits, believe it or not, over the course of a competitive season. So I want to rebuild that. And then third, I'm starting to think about the training adaptations that I want to get, not only in that block, but in the ensuing blocks as well. So my first goal is very simple. I think it's something we should all be focusing on when we start with a new athlete, especially if they've had any sort of injury history or long competitive season they're coming off of. My first goal is simple, get them moving and feeling better. Especially these NBA guys, they've been playing for 90 to 100 games, roughly. They've been training at a high level for at least seven, eight, maybe nine or more months. So they're beat up. They're tired. Their bodies are sore. Maybe they're coming off an injury or a surgery. So my first goal is simple. Get them moving and feeling better. My second goal is to start to rebuild their training base. Before they start to ramp up on the court, I always want to be one step ahead of them. So I'm really thinking about, okay, how can I rebuild the connective tissues? How can I give them those general movement patterns back? How can I make them more resilient so when they get back on the court, There are no hiccups, right? There's not like some sort of random soft tissue injury. How can I bulletproof them as much as possible early on in the off season to continue to build them and put them in a good position for the later off season and then the competitive season? And then my third goal, and again, these aren't necessarily in order, but my third goal is to reconnect and just have fun. You know, again, a a lot of these guys are almost like my family now because You know, Micah, Sean, Jack, these guys were all new this year. But man, you look at Keelan's been with me six years now. Uh, Dakota has been with me five. Taya's been with me five. Uh, I don't know if I remember. Ed, I think, has been with me four. A lot of my soccer girls have been with me five or six years. I mean, a lot of these people I have long-standing relationships with that span beyond just coaching. Like, I'm friends with them. I care about them. 
So I just want to reconnect. I want to have fun during this time and just get them back into the training process. But I would assume that you want a little bit more hard details. So I want to give you a couple ideas. When I get into R4, when I'm writing a program, I'm really focused on re- developing their movement patterns. So for basketball, maybe I'm trying to redevelop their hip turn and their lateral acceleration mechanics. I'm trying to get them smoothed out with regards to their jump mechanics or linear acceleration mechanics. So in R4, I'm starting with low level activities, generally lower levels of momentum. I love band resisted stuff early on just to get them feeling like, okay, hey, it's basketball specific. If I can put air quotes in a podcast, it's basketball specific because we're hip turning and shuffling and starting, but it's very low momentum, low body load, so it doesn't feel too taxing to them. So we're going to start with rebuilding those movement patterns in R4. When we get to R5, it's generally higher volume stuff. I'm trying to restore total body movement capacity because a full length competitive basketball season can wear an athlete down and they're going to have a tendency to default back to their preferred movement strategies. So, you know, I'm generally going to try and shift them back. I'm going to try and get their pelvis back underneath them. I'm going to try and restore range of motion. Uh, Try and restore triple flexion is a big one for me, hip, knee, and ankle flexion, and just make sure they're moving and feeling good. So it's this combination of movement quality, even though we can hate on that term all we want, Hopefully you know what I mean, trying to restore movement quality of those big global patterns while simultaneously building some tissue resiliency and some tissue tolerance. And then in R6, the conditioning side, you know, I'm not going to do a ton here because very few of the guys that I work with in basketball take dedicated time off from the court. A lot of times they're with me and then they're getting back on the court at some sort of level. But when I worked in soccer, this is where I would do more specific uh, conditioning in R6 and not specific in the sense of, you know, making them run or do targeted stuff early in the offseason. But I would prescribe actual conditioning activities because a lot of my soccer players didn't want to run right out of the gate. So for them in R6, we might do some tempo or oxidative lifting. We might do some uh, explosive power type stuff. So very short bursts of, say, a sled sprint or a prowler sprint, maybe five seconds on with full recovery. We might do some of that. We might do some cardiac output or high-intensity continuous training uh, on off days. So I would generally prescribe that with my soccer players, but it's generally lower-intensity activities focusing on building an aerobic base, making sure we get them moving and feeling good, and just you know, with the long-term goal of they don't have to be ready in the first week of the first month that they're back in the gym. Slow cook them, set the stage for the rest of the off season, and then transitioning into the preseason and competitive season. If you kind of slow cook them throughout this process, generally I find they hold up better, not only physically, but mentally as well. Because the last thing you want to do is just smoke somebody the first week or first month in the gym, and then they're toast by the time they actually go back to camp. So fit strength, I really hope that answers your question. If you want more specifics or if you want me to go into more detail on any area of that in the future, definitely let me know. All right, my friend, that does it for this week's episode of the Physical Preparation Podcast. Really hope you enjoyed it. I love doing these Q&A calls. I feel like it gives me a chance to 
kind of vent and outlet and give you some thoughts on where I'm at with regards to coaching and program design. And hopefully on your end, it gives you some real food for thought because I try and span a lot of different topics here. I get so many different questions from different areas and it's kind of wide ranging, right? Sometimes it's coaching, sometimes it's program design, sometimes it's career development, sometimes it's just personal stuff about me. But I hope that whenever you listen to these, there's a handful of things that you can take and latch onto that will help you move the needle in your career in the months and years to come. So my friend, as always, thank you so much for your support. Love and appreciate you. And we'll be back next week with our next episode. Take care.